0: hello everyone uh welcome back to Pine the red Sox, blogging the redsox.com podcast uh it's been a little while i'm your host Brendan campbell and today i'm happy to be joined by uh, gabby hulbert host of the boston balling podcast uh gabby thank you for joining me today how's your spring going so far
1: thank you for having me on yeah it's it's been definitely interesting it's been pretty good so far just uh Hoping that we're nearing the end of this pandemic and just trying to stay positive and hope that things can kind of go back to normal by, uh, from the summer.
0: Before we get into any Red Sox related topics, I want to first ask you, how you got into sports media in the first place? Like what inspired or motivated you to get into the field?
1: Yeah, so I uh, grew up about 10 minutes from the UConn campus. So I grew up going to UConn basketball and football games with my dad and just sitting on his lap watching games um, as a baby. So I kind of just, sports were kind of instilled in me when I was super young. And then my cousins kind of got me to be a Boston fan because we were at their house one day and they had the Red Sox game on. I was, I was only like four and they said to me, you should like the Red Sox. And not really knowing exactly what they were at the time, I just said, okay, So then I started watching Red Sox games on my own, which kind of led me into watching other Boston teams on my own. So I just kind of became like an all around big sports fan because of that stuff. So just um, grew up around it and knew that it was something I might have been interested in doing. So when I was looking at colleges, I started looking at schools that might have had good sports media programs or something along those lines. Um, So I ended up going to Ithaca College graduated with a degree in television and radio and knew that I was exploring a lot of different aspects of the media industry but knew I wanted to work on the sports side of things so I ended up when I graduated from Ithaca I ended up applying for jobs that were sports media related kind of all over the place just all across the country different types of companies and then I ended up I ended up at ESPN I um, just was throwing applications in places and I just saw an opening at ESPN. So I didn't really expect to hear back from them. I just kind of was like, whatever, I'll just throw in an application because (laughs) it can't hurt, you know? Um, Worst comes to worst is they just don't respond. So then after I applied, the the day after I applied, I got a phone call saying they wanted to do a phone interview with me. So I did a phone interview and then did an in-person interview very intense in-person interview, and then um, got offered the position. So ended up working there for about two and a half years, August, 2018. I started there and I was doing social media stuff for them, which was cool. It was fun. I was doing social media and also doing a lot of producing type of work for them, which was awesome because I knew that working in sports, that was a great place to start my career. And then recently in December, I decided I wanted something else to kind of help develop and enhance my skills um, and just have another fun thing to do on the side. So I started my own podcast, Boston Balling, in December, um, which basically just covers all Boston sports, and I bring on guests and things like that to talk Boston sports with me. And it's it's been a great experience so far the last few months. Um, I'm really just happy with the progress that it's made since it started in December. And I'm just kind of hoping to continue to grow my following on that. So, and I, so I love doing it. I love being in sports and the sports industry. And it's definitely something that I want. I see myself being in long-term.
0: And in your two and a half years at ESPN, um, like how was getting your foot in the door there? What experiences did you gain from it?
1: Yeah, sure. So it, yeah, I mean, being in sports is definitely a hard and competitive industry to be in. And it's really important to have a variety of experience. And one thing they told me when they did my phone interview was that they saw my resume and they were impressed at how many internships I had done in college. So that was something that helped me get an interview was because I had a wide variety of internship experience on my resume, doing different things. Like I knew how to produce a radio show and how to produce a TV show. And I interned at different types of places. And I think that 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 helped me because I gained a bunch of different types of skills that I could carry over into a job. But having different types of experiences I found was, was important. But also um, if when I was in college, I just kept trying to make as many connections as I could. I would reach out to people on LinkedIn that were in the sports industry just to talk to them about their experience. And I think being able to network with people like that was beneficial as well because you never know if down the road, they might have a job opening or something and they remember talking to you. So I just tried to do as much networking as I could when I was in college too. But I got a lot of good experience at ESPN. I did a lot of hands-on work being able to help produce um, some of our studio shows, work with a lot of different departments. Um, I did social media related stuff. So I got to, it really helped advance advance my video editing skills as well, my video editing and um, social media awareness type of skills. And just, it was a lot of doing a lot of different things at once and following a lot of different sports at once. So it was important to just understand the key teams and players involved in each sport and being able to really showcase that. There was a, a big sports knowledge part of my interview there. So um, they asked me a lot of different types of questions to make sure that I knew things about different sports. So that was pretty, pretty intense, but it was, um, it made sense because of the job that it was and just having to keep track of a lot of different things. So a few different types of things I got out of it, but I got to meet a lot of different people that did a lot of different things for the company, which was really cool too.
0: I was going to ask about the social media aspect of it. How would you say uh, the social media landscape overall has changed in regards to covering sports between the time you started ESPN and now?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think when I started there, I started in a very, very good spot because it was right in the middle of a point where the media industry in general was really evolving and moving towards the social media side of things. And I I think that the industry is going to keep moving in that direction, at least from what I've seen. So I kind of was there for a lot of change that happened over those over those two and a half years I was there. I saw a lot of change happen in terms of how we went about content for digital and social media platforms. And I think that it keeps changing in terms of the fact that more and more sports related and media companies now, are relying on their social media platforms to deliver a lot of their content more so than they would um, TV or radio now because those are th- those are drawing now more and more of, of a following. And so the way that the types of content is delivered, a lot of companies now will do more hands-on things through social media, like they'll do contests or giveaways through social media and say, like, if you guess the score of this game right, you can get you can get you win this, like you win free tickets to wherever, the next Red Sox game or or wherever. And I think that when I was at ESPN, we found that the more we engage people through social media, the better off we'll be. And even just with breaking news, we were putting breaking news on our social media platforms a lot before they even ended up on SportsCenter, before we could get somebody to go on air and talk about it. It was already up on our social media and and our app and those types of platforms so that those people were getting the information before they were other sports networks so that so that way essentially when it would air on tv a lot of times people already knew because we had put it on our other platforms to stay ahead of competing networks and so i think people are like having their hands on being able to be involved in the social media platforms and being engaged but i also think that getting news now and getting sports related news is becoming more and more common on those types of platforms. And I think we're going to see that still as time progresses. I think we're going to see even more of social media being a major, a major role in how people get their content, not only just in sports, but in media in general.
0: How do you think the different leagues do in uh, interacting with their fans on social media or just like, for example, Major League Baseball is pretty strict about like who can share highlights. So I was curious if you had any take on that, like if like it should be more like the NBA where anyone can post whatever.
1: Yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, And we found that problem at ESPN with MLB, too. We had a lot of restrictions for what we, could cut, like what we could post from different games um, on our platforms. There were a lot of strict rules that we had to follow. And MLB would get mad if, if somebody broke a, a rule or a restriction. And um, so we did find that problem. So it's not like I could go through an ESPN Twitter account and try to share a highlight from like a Cincinnati Reds game unless it fit our, our restrictions that we had to follow. So MLB is definitely the worst with it. NFL was really strict too, in terms of sharing stuff. I think that basketball, you're right when you say that they should all be like the NBA, because I have found that basketball is the best with that in terms of allowing companies to just kind of have free reign with what they share and just with interacting with fans. Cause I've seen a lot of NBA team accounts that will comment on fans' tweets and college basketball. They do it too. I think the NCAA, because their rules um, it depends on the sport, but their rules for us were not very, not as um, strict either. And so I think basketball in general does a good job of interacting with fans and making sure they're involved, and and that's just going to draw people to the sport more. And I think in general, football is a big is a big sport in. In America, like people are super into football and that usually drove the most traffic for us. But then you have the basketball fans who will will stay loyal to basketball. But if there's people that are might not be as into either sport, they they'd be more inclined to pick basketball if they feel more involved in that sport on a personal level on social media. So I think it's really important for other leagues to start to realize that that's kind of the way the industry is moving now. And if they want to keep fans, because they'll, they'll always have their loyal fans that'll be loyal to that sport no matter what. But if they want to keep the more casual fans, they need to start moving in that direction and evolving. And I, and I think that they're starting to realize that. But it's, it's going to take a while, I think, for everyone to kind of be on board with that.
0: You mentioned just working with different people at ESPN. Were there any personalities uh, specifically you got to know and connect with during your time there?
1: Yeah, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite on-air people there is Scott Van Pelt. He's he's a very cool guy, and his personality on camera is exactly his personality off-camera. Just super goofy and just super outgoing and always willing to help and just talk about his experiences. And I remember the conversations I had with him were always he would give me a lot of good advice about breaking into the sports industry and and what to do if I want to end up on the on air side, which, which is still my ultimate goal and just having a lot of good conversations. He was always so willing and open to do it. And, um, Dan Orlovsky was another one that was, that was super nice off camera and would just be really personable and take the time to talk to people about, about his experience and, I mean, most of them were most of them were nice, but Sage Steele, I remember, was one of the first on-air people I talked to there um, because I just wanted to hear her experience being a female in sports and, and breaking into the industry and how she ended up doing on-air work and stuff. And she had a really nice long conversation with me shortly after I started working there. So they all are very open to talking to people about their experience and they're all really open to just Helping you along the way and just giving whatever advice you can. So I would view a lot of the on-air talent at ESPN mentors because they ended up helping me a lot. And just the fact that just the fact that I started my podcast and everything is um is kind of a good way to just expand on some of the skills that I didn't get a chance to expand on working at ESPN.
0: At your time at ESPN, they moved to like the paywall, ESPN plus stuff. So I was curious if um, you had any involvement, not like direct involvement, but maybe like how like your role changed as that became more relevant.
1: Yeah. So once the UFC stuff started becoming really, really big on ESPN and we took on that, I had a very, very heavy involvement with posting UFC highlights on the ESPN app and ESPN plus. So the thing about ESPN plus was it didn't even launch until after I started. So that was, that was actually cool to see because I was there for that process and I was there to kind of see how, how that worked and how they were going to, how they were making that a revenue generating platform and what the, what the kind of um, involvement was going to be with, with that in terms of what was going to be on it and what we were going to show on it. And so UFC, I mean, that still now is is one of ESPN's biggest sports to cover because so many more people now are getting into it and are actually buying pay-per-view events. So I was able to be there to see the process of starting it because I worked on the ESPN app a lot as part of my job. Um, So when I was working on the app, I got to directly be involved with just the start of ESPN+. And so my role kind of shifted between not only just doing straight social media stuff at that point, but to also showcasing really good highlights from UFC events. And so I found that I was getting more and more involved in UFC coverage as time went on, because that was the biggest thing that they showed on ESPN Plus And that was the biggest revenue driver for the company on that platform at that, at that point. So I found myself kind of working more with our UFC shows and, and just doing a lot of cutting highlights from UFC events to post on those, on, on the the app, the regular app and ESPN+.
0: And I know you're not there now, but how do you think ESPN will do? I believe it's on uh, next season when they take over and they, they got the NHL, right? So how do you think they will do pivoting to a sport they haven't uh, directly covered for a while?
1: I think there it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be an experimental period. We always post – NHL highlights on the ESPN app and social media because we want to make sure that that sport is involved and that sport is covered for the hockey fans out there. But the hockey coverage that we did never, never put up good numbers really. I mean, the, the hockey highlights never really did that well. And I think that's because that's not an ESPN thing. I think it's just because overall hockey is just not as popular in this country as the other major sports are. And that just kind of is what it is. And, um, and it's, it's not that, I mean, I like hockey. I like watching my Bruins, but I think that not everybody really follows hockey closely. I mean, I have a lot of friends that are big sports fans, but couldn't tell you a single thing about hockey because they just don't watch it. They don't follow it. Um, And if they, if they just watch basketball instead during the winter, they might not even follow hockey at all. So I think that it'll be actually a good thing for them to start covering hockey because I think it'll be good for them to be able to expand their horizons a little bit more. And it might draw in some more of those hockey fans that we, an audience that we never really saw covered as much. And I mean, we would post, we're talking not that much. We're talking one highlight per game per day and if that even if there wasn't anything good that happened in that game we wouldn't even post anything for that game on the app but the point the point is that there was just so little hockey coverage so I think it'll actually end up being a good thing because I think they need to expand I mean they're hurting and it's it's not their fault it's just because there was a long period of time where there weren't sports on and it just did a lot financially a lot of financial damage to the company and it's, it's affected a lot of people, and I think now that sports are back on, they'll start to kind of move in a positive direction more, but I think that it's going, to be, it's going to be key for them to draw in more of those viewers on the hockey side because hockey has a very special fan base, so if they're catering to that fan base now, then I think that that's going to be really, really good because it will only give, bring them more viewers, and they're trying to get a hand in the Super Bowl – in Super Bowl coverage too so hopefully if they can get if they can pull that off that'd be huge for them as well so I think there's I don't really see a lot of downsize to them doing the hockey coverage I mean if it doesn't end up working then it doesn't work but I think it'll just it'll just draw in more viewers which they need right now.
0: Last ESPN related question uh, what was the food like at the ESPN cafeteria and how is like the ESPN campus in Bristol in general?
1: The food was, it was, it was okay. It depended on what you got. I mean, the wraps were always really, really good. I would always get a buffalo chicken wrap a lot, which was, which was super good. That buffalo sauce that they used, I, I really would never complain about that. Um, they had specialty foods. Like sometimes they had, every Thursday I remember was Mexican food day. So they would have tacos and nachos and stuff like that, quesadillas. And I would, that, that stuff was very good as well. Um, the salads were okay. They were fine. Nothing special. And the pizza, I was not a huge fan of. Some people might disagree with me, but I I didn't really like the pizza overall that much. Um, At least the pizza that they would cook beforehand and bring out of the oven. But they had like a make your own pizza station and that actually was okay too. But the pizza was not my favorite, but the breakfast foods were a hit. I think people liked those the best, like the sausage and the... um, the waffles and all that stuff that they would bring out early in the morning on weekdays and weekends. And people, uh, cause on Saturdays and Sundays, a lot of us were working. And so the cafeteria wasn't nearly as busy on the weekends, which was nice. Cause during the week, if you go to get, if you're working a day shift and you go to get lunch at like noon, forget it. There's so many people are in line, but if you're working a night shift, cause I, I worked nights when I first started. nobody's in the cafeteria at like nine o'clock, nine or 10 o'clock at night when some of us were trying to get food. So that was nice. Um, So you never had to really risk waiting in line for too long for other people, but sometimes they'd run out of food, which was always unfortunate. They would run out of stuff you wanted. And so you kind of just had to get whatever was left. And that was the downside to working later night shifts. But overall, I'd say, I'd say the food was, was decent. It was pretty good for the most part.
0: And uh, just like the ESPN, the campus, was that overwhelming at at first, given its uh, sheer size?
1: Yeah, I remember when I first started on my first day, we had a big orientation because there's always an orientation for new members or new people, like new employees that are starting at the company. And so I remember I had my orientation. There were a bunch of other people in it and they because they bring in people that are working at every ESPN location for the orientation. So I remember I met people that were working at like the LA office and other ESPN locations too, because they all do their, they all do the orientation in Bristol. So I remember I met so many different people, but then we did the tour of the campus afterwards, after the presentation. And my gosh, I do not remember feeling as overwhelmed as I did that day because they showed us the whole campus and I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to navigate my way through here. I mean, I can't even remember where the room is that we were just in for orientation. So then for the se- the second day, we had to meet in the same room again for orientation. And I had no idea like where I was going or how to find it. Luckily, I ran into a couple other people that I had remembered from the first day. And I was like, I'm lost. Like, I don't remember what room we were in. Do you guys remember? So I ended up walking in with them. So I'm lucky I found them. But it was, it was super overwhelming at first, but then you start to realize you're, you're, not, you're not in every building all the time either. So there were buildings on the other side of campus that I never even had to worry about. So I would just not even make my way into those. So eventually, once I, once my, I got more established with my job and where I was going, I was only really ever in about three or four buildings usually. So I only really had to worry about those buildings after a while, which was nice, but you could, even to this day, still like somebody could point to a random building and be like, who works in that building? And I, I still would have no idea for some of those buildings, like what exactly happens in those, because I just never really needed to be in them.
0: Transitioning to the Red Sox now, our Red Sox related topics. The Red Sox are 12 and six right now, but what were your expectations for the team before the start of the season? What were you thinking after the first three games? And how do you feel about them at this moment?
1: Yeah, so I was one of those people that before the season started said that I really think that the Red Sox could be a surprise team this year. And surprise people, I really thought that they were going to be better than people were expecting. Because I had a lot of people tell me like, no, this team is not going to be good. This is going to be like a bottom 10 team in baseball. Or like this team does not have any pitching. Like they're not going to be good. And I try to tell people this is not 2020. And the Red Sox are going to be much better than they were in 2020. I said they made some moves in the offseason to set them up for more success. And this is going to be a team that I think genuinely can compete and genuinely can get a playoff spot. So then the first three games happen, and they get swept at home against the Orioles. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is making me look so dumb. Like now everybody on Twitter is going to be like, wait, I thought you said that they were going to be good this year. And then they go and get swept, and I was like, "This is so embarrassing for me." Like, and then of course I was hearing it from Yankees fans after that. I was hearing the whole, "Oh, I told you, like the Red Sox got swept at home by the Orioles, like they're gonna suck." Then they go on that nine-game win streak, and I went back to all those those Yankees fans, and I was like, um, "I was like, yeah, the Red Sox definitely suck. Like they uh, they're in last place in the AL East right now. Like they just can't seem to figure it out." And uh, <laughs> and nobody's really said anything to me since because I think that they're, they're starting to realize now that what I said about the Red Sox actually being competitive this year, they're like, oh, that actually might be true. So they know they can't really say much about it. And so I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's early. It's April still. I do think that the Yankees, unfortunately, will figure things out at some point and start playing better baseball And I think that the division the Red Sox are in is super tough. I think it's the most competitive and toughest division in baseball right now because you have four really solid teams in that division that can genuinely compete and can genuinely make a run to win the division. And I think that because I think Toronto is going to be very good. I think the Rays are still a solid team. And the Yankees, I mean, they're not playing as well as their potential is right now. But I think that once they figure things out offensively, they'll start playing better. So I think it is, it gen- generally can be a four team race all season. And I really genuinely think the Red Sox have a chance at, at be, it just as much of a chance at any of those other teams at winning the division. Cause I, cause the pitching to me was a question mark going into the season because we didn't know what we didn't know how Erod was going to be when he got back. We still don't know how Chris Sale is going to be when he comes back. Um, Evaldi was always off and on, inconsistent um, sometimes, and so there were a lot of question marks with the pitching. But I think that the pitching so far has been better than people anticipated it was going to be, and I think that's been a big reason why they've been playing so well. I mean, granted, JD has just been a tear, but I think I think the pitching overall has been better than people were expecting it to be because the pitting the pitching was awful last year and I mean it was frustrating watching games last year because they would hit I mean we knew that we we had an offense that could hit and I've never been worried about the offense but then the then the pitchers the bullpen would come in and just blow games and it, it just that was the narrative last year and I think people were expecting that same thing this year but I was like no they made bullpen changes this year and I mean this is this is, this is good. This is exciting to watch. And, and, and I, I knew that they could be a team that should be taken seriously. And and Matt Barnes, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with what I've overall seen from him. Because I think he, when I found out he was going to be the closer, I was like, I don't know about that. That makes me a little bit nervous, like him closing games. But I really like what I've seen from him out of the closing spot so far. I mean, he'll come out there and pretty much be lights out. And I think that that's, going to be important as the season progresses but I think it's also good that Cora has Ottavino and he has Salamora now that could that could fill that role as well and I think it's going to be fun to see how he utilizes his bullpen pieces the rest of the season
0: are you a big uh, Matt Barnes supporter given the Connecticut connection
1: I always had a soft spot for him because of Connecticut and and uh and him going to UConn and everything I kind of felt I've always had a soft spot for the guy, but watching him close games last year, I was not in support of because I was like, this guy cannot finish the job. Like he comes in here and he fills the bases and then he'll give up a couple runs. And that's kind of what the narrative was last year. But I I do, I do like him as a player. I feel obligated to, Um, but I think he's, I think he is. um, I think he's a good person to have around on this team too, because he's a veteran guy and he has the experience now and he's been with this team. You know, So I think having somebody like him with the rest of the pitching staff and the changes that they made in the offseason, I think that he's somebody that is good to have around. And I think I really, really like what I've seen from him so far, and I hope he continues to pitch like that.
0: Just how much of the team's early success uh, <clears throat> would you attribute to Alex Gore being back?
1: Oh, a lot. I've, I've, I've had this conversation with some of my friends, too, that are also Red Sox fans, and I said – I think Alex Cora makes a big difference. I think because they they did not have a, a confident manager last year. No offense to him. Um, I just think that he wasn't really equipped to manage this team. And I think bringing back Alex Cora. Some people were skeptical because they were like, "Oh, well, he should have gotten a longer punishment." But it's like, I mean, you know, like it's it's just one of those things where um, if AJ Hinch once AJ Hinch got uh, got fired or got hired somewhere. Then I figured Alex Cora would probably be next, um, and I knew that the Red Sox were the front runner for him. And I think that that were the team that makes sense for him. I think that he fits in very, very well here. And the the most important thing that I'm with them that I think is another thing that's hurting teams like the Yankees right now is that the players really like playing for Alex. They're they're very vocal about it. They they always say how much how much Alex how good he is for this team and how much he makes them better. And I think him being a players coach has a lot to do with this. Cause I think after that, that three game series to start the season, I think Alex said something to them that was like, it's okay. We're just going to bounce back and, and we're just going to um, forget about that series. And the season starts today. And every time he says something to them, and if they have a bad game, they always come back the next day and bounce back. Like when they lost both games of the double header against the White Sox and then came back and just basically pounded them in uh, game four of that series. And I think that, so I, I really do think that Alex is a big part of this. I think it's a combination of the team coming out this year and wanting to prove something, knowing that they had a lot of people sleeping on them. And the fact that they have Alex Cora back as manager, because I think he genuinely does know how to manage and he knows how to work with these guys, and they, they very they really really value his input and what he has to say. And I think with the Yankees, we're finding that they don't really respect Aaron Boone. I don't think, and I and I really think that that's showing in the way they're playing on the field right now. And I think that it's the players are, don't really don't really care about playing for him anymore. And I think that that's going to hurt them down the road. But I think for us. Alex Cora developed something special, I think, with this team. And I'm sure you can probably agree that the environment, that locker room mentality and, and whatever goes on in the clubhouse is something special that the Red Sox have. And I think that Alex is a big part of that. And I think he, he can coach a winning team. And I think that it's going to be fun to see what they do the rest of the season because I really think that they're going to be – they're going to be a fun team to watch like this all year because they approach every game like they're not out of it. And I think that Alex is a big part of that as well. He has he creates that mindset in them, I think, that it's not over till it's over. And they come into games and they could be losing, and they've had a lot of come-from-behind wins already this year because they, they, they think of every game like they're not out of it. And I'm happy that they beat the Blue Jays last night too because the fact that they swept the Rays and, and then swept the Orioles – and then beat the Blue Jays, it shows that they really can compete with their division, and that's going to be important for them if they want a chance of winning this division, is is winning those division matchups.
0: So it sounds like you were on board with Cora coming back, like right from the get-go, even after the whole Astros thing.
1: Yeah, I was. And obviously, like with the whole situation, I mean, that's kind of its own issue. But, I mean, he acknowledged it so many times openly to the public, and he acknowledged that he's sorry, and, and he knew kind of – he and he was guilty about it, and I think he still is. But, I mean, it's like to a point people have to move on. It's like A.J. Hinch got rehired as a manager, so um, – and it's – I know people are still upset that the players never got punished for that, but it, it just gets to the point where now – I mean, now we have fans of other teams saying they wish they hired Alex Cora. So now I think people are, are really back at the point where – they're realizing that it was a good hire for the Red Sox. And as soon as that happened, I was like, yeah, this is going to be good. I was like, this is going to be good for this team. Like, um, Cora, I mean, he has not, it's going to be a lot of a different team than what he was used to because it's, there's different players on this team now um, than that 2018 squad. And I mean, granted, there's still some of those players there, but a lot of the players are different, but it's, um, it's exciting to have him back. And I really like that they hired him again because he, the the environment he creates, I think, is something special that we don't see in a lot of other teams.
0: And just among those new players, maybe, who has stood out to you uh, like as an unexpected contributor so far?
1: Yeah, so I think Franchi Cordero is one of the ones that is a name that see that pops into my head when I think of that question. Because, I mean, a lot of people were upset when they traded Ben Attendee. I personally – was not that upset because offensively he really was digressing the last couple of years. I mean, he had a great 2018 season when they won the world series, but then in 2019 and 2020 on offense, he just, he was just not at the same level that he had been at. And I didn't really see that getting any better. And, you know, I think people associated him so much with JBJ and Mookie that it's like, Oh, you're going to get rid of like, one of the OGs in the outfield. And, um, but I think what they got in return was worth it because Frenchie Cordero, when he came in, I was like, Oh yeah, like this could be pretty good. I mean, like he can play in the outfield, but I wasn't overly like, Oh my gosh, it's going to be fantastic. You know what I mean? Um, and I mean, they still have, they still have prospects that they had to get from the, out of that trade. still, but I think that he's been playing a lot better than people thought that he would coming in. I mean, offensively, his bat's really been working a lot and he's made a couple really good plays out on defense already. So I think he's probably um, a surprise in terms of, I didn't think he would be bad for this team, but I did not expect him to be this good off the bat either. Um I, And I think, so I think that that's really promising. And I think that at the end of the day, I'm happy with what we got out of the Benintendi trade. And I think that that was, that was the move that needed to be made in that situation. And I think that Bloom what he was able to get from that is very, very good because I mean, not only not only with that, but just in general, like they got a lot of a lot of young prospects now, and even with the Mookie trade, that was the first thing he did when he came in, and everybody was like, "Oh, great, this is going to be terrible," like like he's going to trade away everybody. But I mean, getting Alex Verdugo out of that trade, I mean, that kid is still so young and he's playing so well, so I'm excited to see how the rest of his career really goes. Cause I hope that he's with this team for a long time because getting somebody like that out of the Mookie trade to me made the whole thing worth it because, because, I mean, first of all, I think Mookie would have left anyway, eventually at some point, because he like, he wanted, he wanted that kind of money. And I don't think the Red Sox were willing to spend that on him, but what they got in return. I mean, they already, they needed to fix the farm system as it is. Because they didn't have a lot of young a lot of young talent on this team. And I think he addressed that starting with the Mookie trade because he got some solid prospects out of it. I mean, Jeter Downs he hasn't even come up yet. And he, we got him from that trade. So I think that it's hard to – people looked at the Mookie trade at first, and granted I was included in that, and said, why would you ever trade one of the best players in baseball? You're not going to get that kind of talent again. But looking back on it now and, and seeing how this team has progressed now – and how and kind of um, how they're built, I think that that ended up being a good thing at the end of the day because we were able to get a lot of young talent, which is something this team lacked. So I think that's um, that's been really good. I'm excited to see Alex Verdugo the rest of the season, and I think Hunter Renfro and Kike Hernandez. I think those two signings were both a little underrated. I think they're both players that can bring a lot of value here, and as the season goes on, it's going to be fun to see what they do because. I mean, they all miss Kike in L.A., and I think his personality is a big part of that and just having somebody like that here in the clubhouse. But I also think that just the fact that, you know, he can pretty much play anywhere and and he just he, – he, he's clutch. Like, he was clutch for the Dodgers in a lot of situations. And so I think I'm excited to watch Kike because I was excited when they signed him too.
0: And going back to what you said about the Yankees, uh, do you think they regret not adding Garrett Whitlock to their 40-man roster last November?
1: Yeah, I think they are now. I think they're seeing how much he's dominating for the Red Sox with his zero ERA and how um how they're seeing, wow, like we should have we, sh- we should have added him to our roster. Like, I'm, like I, I, I sit there now and I watch him pitch and I'm like, imagine getting rid of this type of kid in a Rule 5 draft. Like that's crazy to me. Um, I, I'm so happy we got him though. He's a stud and I think he's going to have a very, very good season with us as long as he stays healthy. And I think the Yankees – are sitting there and there's a lot of things that they wish that they, that they would have done because their, their lineup right now is not constructed like the Red Sox lineup. Their lineup is constructed with like a lot of home runner bust hitters. It's, it's hitters that hit home runs and strike out. And the Red Sox don't really have that. The Red Sox have hitters that can hit home runs, but they can also go and hit singles and doubles and make things happen on the bases. And I think that's something that makes the Red Sox offense as good as it is because they, they have hitters that can do a wide variety of things. Whereas with the Yankees and this has been something that's hurt them the last few years, but I think we're really, really starting to see it. It catch up to them now is that their lineup is just not varied enough. And it's like, you either hit a home run or you strike out like judge and Stanton. And I, and that's, that's something that for them going forward is going to hurt them if they don't try to fix that. So as with the Yankees, I mean, they could win this division if they turn things around, but I definitely don't think that they have enough right now to win the whole thing.
0: And just uh, talk about pitchers, uh, what do you think about Tanner? How getting optioned earlier this month, and do you think he deserves to come back up or maybe a permanent spot in the rotation even?
1: Yeah, I was upset when he went down. Um, I love watching him pitch. I think he's really fun. I mean, last year – when he pitched last year, I was I was like, this kid is so good. And granted, last year was a small sample size, and I tried to not weigh too much into last year for anybody. I mean, even Adam Ottavino with his bad season last year, I was like, okay, yeah, I get that he didn't have a good season last year, but it's so hard to judge based on a sixty-game season. Um, and so I I I was like, wow, Tanner House nasty, but like we'll see how he does over a full-length season. Then when they optioned him down I was like oh we don't get to see that right now you don't get to see um we don't get to see what he can do in a full 50 162 game season rather right now and I think for me it's gonna be very very exciting to see how he develops and when he does get called back up and I think he eventually will get a permanent spot in the rotation it might not be this year but I think being able to have him to call up at any time if somebody's injured or like if somebody um, if it's, if, if it's just um, – if it's a TBD day and they don't know who to have pitch and they can easily call him up, or they can call him up at any time to come out of the bullpen. And that's exciting, too. Having somebody like that just in, in your grasp and Alex at any time could be like, oh, like we could use him today. I think he's a good person to have. I do think he'll get a permanent spot in the rotation, but it will be very, very exciting to see him have a permanent spot in the rotation when he develops more. And that slider – of his is already super nasty but him continuing to get better and better down there i think when he comes back up he's going to really be a force to be reckoned with when he when he does earn a permanent spot in the rotation because i'm hoping that does happen at some point soon
0: do you see the right-handed uh chris sale comparison people have made since he made his debut last year
1: yeah people have and I, i i actually could see that kind of too i could see why people are saying that, and I could see the resemblance, and it's exciting because Hauk is still young. So, so he's you know, like I can't even imagine the potential, or I can't imagine him in the next couple seasons. I think that's going to be awesome, and I think with it, it's something to for us to have. That's good because when Chris Sale does come back, we really don't know how he's going to be. It's hard to come back from Tommy John and know how somebody's going to perform. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, a lot of pitchers come back better than they were after Tommy John surgery, which is, which is good. Like that, that's, I mean, I hope obviously that that does happen, but there's a risk and a chance that it doesn't. And so I think having somebody like Cal at our disposal just in case sale can't do every start or like he has to ease back into it. And I think having somebody like that, that people are kind of comparing to him in a way which I agree with. Is a very very good thing, and I'm I'm hoping obviously that he comes back better than ever. But you just never know with that with with that type of pitcher and what they went through. So it'll be fun when he comes back and gets added to this rotation, because you'll have him, Erod, Ivaldi, Perez, and Garrett Richards would be the rotation. That'd be the five right now probably, um, when when Sale does come back, and Garrett Richards, I still get I'm still concerned about him. Overall, he's been solid though. I mean, he'll he'll come in and he'll have a couple rough innings to start the game. But then once he settles in, he's been very good. And so I think people were skeptical about giving him $10 million, which I understand, you know, I understand why people would be skeptical about that. But I think, I think at the end of the day, I mean, he's a solid person to have in the rotation right now. Like, I mean, nobody's asking for him to be an ace. Nobody was expecting that either. As long as he can be a solid like four, three or four, maybe pitcher. Probably not even three. Probably by the time Seattle comes back, like a four or five guy, end of the rotation type of pitcher. Then like that's fine with me. If he's if he's giving us what he's giving us now, and he can do that in, in like a back of the ro- back of the rotation position, then that's fine with me.
0: And uh, last time we saw Hauk was on uh, the first game of the doubleheader on Sunday. What'd you think of the City Connect uniforms they wore that day and the day before?
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of mixed mixed feelings on that. I know. I mean, I've seen people on social media and the reactions, and just just how people felt about it. I thought they were interesting. I actually kind of liked it because I liked the change. I liked like I kind of liked the yellow. Not gonna lie. Um, I thought that it was like uh, I, like those bright colors at first when I saw them, the pictures of them online. I didn't like them at all. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be so bad. Like, I don't like these. Like, I don't, I don't I, like, please don't wear these. But then when they were on them and I saw them actually on the field wearing them, I was like, wait, these actually aren't that bad. I was like, they're, they're not as bad as they seemed in the pictures. Um, and I actually liked them. And, and I liked that they do that with the different uniforms for that weekend. And I just, I, I actually ended up enjoying it and liking them on the players more than I thought I was going to.
0: Just, like, during the pandemic and all, have you been to a baseball game, Red Sox game, like, since it started? Or, like, do you have any plans to do so if you haven't?
1: I'm going on Thursday, tomorrow, actually. The, the Fenway. Yeah. So that's going to be exciting. Um, I, I was thinking – well, originally I was talking to one of my friends about going last Friday, but then that was the game that ended up getting canceled because of the weather. And we didn't even end up getting tickets because we just saw what the weather was going to be. And I was like, yeah, they probably won't even play. But I've been dying to go because it really was unfortunate not being able to go to games last year with with the fans and stuff. And because I went to so many games in 2019 and 2018 and just every year before that in the past, like going to baseball games is one of my favorite things to do in the summer. So it was just really unfortunate not being able to go. So when I found out in, in Massachusetts that they were allowing fans at games this year, I was so happy. So I'm going then and then I'm going in June as well because my dad is actually a Yankees fan. And so he, his birthday is in March. So last year in March for his birthday, like I got him tickets to a Red Sox Yankee game, but his birthday was like right before the pandemic started. His birthday was like two days or so before everything shut down because of the pandemic. So then obviously they didn't have um, fans at baseball games last year. So I got reimbursed for the tickets last year. And I just told my dad, I'll just get you the same gifts next year and hopefully we can go then. So I got him the same gift this year for his birthday in, in March. So the Yankees are in town at the end of June. Um, So it's like a Saturday four o'clock game. I'm taking my dad as his birthday present and we're going to go and we're going to go into Boston and get some lunch beforehand. And then we're going to go to the Red Sox Yankee game. So that'll be fun too.
0: That sounds nice. Second to last question for me. Do you think the success the Red Sox are enjoying now is sustainable or will they uh, fall back to earth sooner rather than later?
1: I think the way that they're playing now, we might not see all season, but I do think that the fact that they started off strong is very, very important. I mean, and everybody says like, it's only April, you know, which is true. I mean, it's still early on in the season, but I think that they still will play at a competitive and high level all season. And I think they're going to be a team all season. That's going to be a team to beat that other teams are going to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like the Red Sox are really here. Like they're serious about doing this and, they want to compete. Um, and so I think, I think that that's something that is going to be important because now that they had this really good start and they're leading the AL East, that means when they go into a slump, they can, they'll still be there. Like they can, they can drop a few games in a row and they'll still be up there with everybody else. And so I think that that's the important thing that people tend to forget when it comes to saying, Oh, it's only April is that, yeah, it's only April, but our team got like a really, really good start in April so that they can hopefully keep um, competing with everybody. So in terms of just this dominance, like going on these big wind tears um, all the time, I don't think that'll happen all season, but I do think that they will be competitive with the division all season. And I do think we will see this type of urgency and fire from the players all season.
0: And lastly, do you have any uh, predictions, hot takes thoughts you'd like to make uh, the 20, 2021 red Sox, before you wrap up
1: well i said i i said i don't remember when it was i said like to one of my friends it was either like last week or the week before that i said that like bobby dalbeck would um be one of the home run leaders in baseball this year and that he would hit like in between 30 and 40 home runs this year
0: has he um, hit one yet
1: hmm?
0: i don't think he's hit one yet has he
1: No, he hasn't. So like that prediction from the beginning of the season that I had is like, he's, he's disappointing me with that one right now, but I actually really do have faith in him. I really like him. I think he's, he's um, one of those types of players that once he develops is going to be very, very good as well. Um, So I'm excited to see how he, how he does the rest of the season, but he better start hitting some home runs so that I don't look stupid.
0: All right. Well, Gabby Hurlbutt, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, You can follow Gabby on Twitter at Gabby Hurlbutt10 and hear more from her on the Boston Balling Podcast. Gabby, thank you again.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And go Red Sox.